Testing, testing. Hello. Back once again. The Renegade Master. B4 Damager. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that smile. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Miranda Pierce. And today we're talking about autoimmune disease and also how do you get the right information to decide whether or not it's safe to treat. So it's really, we wanted to talk about this because you can, there are so many different eventualities that might be contraindications and we can't you know, we haven't got enough time to talk about them all here. So I think if you could give people the how to decide whether something is contraindicated, that would be so powerful. Absolutely. It's such a common question you see on forums all the time. It'll be something like my patient ha- had a stroke last year or they've had a heart attack or they're on this medication or they've got this autoimmune disease. Is it safe to treat? And the reason there are so many questions is because there are so many diseases and there are so many drugs. And if you multiply them all together, there are literally billions of permutations <laughs> that we need to somehow navigate through. Um, so the key message really I want to get across is you are never going to get authoritative guidance from a study for most of these things because they're simply never tested because you simply couldn't test them all. So we need to think about how we can think through and make decisions in, in the best interest of our patients um, for all these different variables. So let's start with autoimmune diseases. Is there a causal relationship between them and dermal filler? Well, the thing with autoimmune disease, the reason why they come up the most is because of delayed onset reactions. So we all hate delayed onset nodules um, and they're quite common uh, autoimmune disease. You will come across patients with autoimmune disease um, and you'll need to decide whether or not it's safe to treat them. Um, some of the, Sometimes patients ask, do dermal fillers cause autoimmune disease? And I can say that categorically, there's no evidence that they cause autoimmune disease. So the next question to answer is, um, are you likely to get a reaction because you have an autoimmune disease if you have a dermal filler treatment? Uh, and this is where it's kind of gray, um, but we need to we need to have, figure out some way of how we're going to get through this situation with our patients. So what is the connection between autoimmune disease and dermal fillers? Well, the, the key thing is that you can get this type of reaction to products, which is a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. This is a cell-mediated reaction. And essentially, autoimmune diseases tend to function around cell-mediated reactions to things. So if anyone has ever reacted to dermal filler, a delayed onset nodule, one of the causes is cell-mediated type 4 hypersensitivity, which is the same thing that, that is caused by autoimmune disease. So the same mechanism by which autoimmune disease is caused. So that's already made people think maybe there's a connection here. And it does make sense. And this is probably the most fundamental idea that drives all this awareness around allergies as well and autoimmune disease is if the immune system is hyperactive, surely that's not a good time to expose it to something new that it might react to. So th- this is really the fundamental principle about why we worry about autoimmune disease. Um, it's actually not because there's tons of evidence supporting a link. Are autoimmune diseases an absolute contraindication for filler? Um, it's I, I would say probably in most cases, no. Like actually having an autoimmune disease is not an absolute con- contraindication um, because the chances are if it's well controlled that you actually don't have high levels of 
that particular um, those antibodies in your system so that you could probably expose yourself and you'd have a similar risk to anyone else if it's controlled. What most product leaflets will say is um, they advise not to treat during active flare-ups of any disease. And to me, that that is an absolute contraindication because it's it's actually very obvious that we basically shouldn't be treating anyone in an unstable medical state. Um, because what we're doing with dermal fillers is we're doing an elective procedure and it's meant to make someone feel better. And why do it at a time of great uncertainty? So what I often say to people is, you know, if, if you're going to go on a voyage, sailing, for example, why set out when the sea is choppy and rough in the middle of a storm if you can wait a few hours or a few days and do it when, when you have calm seas? And that's exactly how we should see our procedures. If you look at your patient's medical history and you think there's some uncertainty going on here, which could be literally anything, it could be, oh, I've, you know, I think I'm coming down with a cold. That might be a reason not to treat on that particular day. It could be I'm starting a new medication. Uh, I'm having tests for something. I'm pregnant. All those things basically are contraindications because they increase the uncertainty in a way that you could easily avoid by simply waiting a bit longer. So pregnancy is not a great example because everyone should know that is a complete contraindication. And that's because there's no data. There's uncertainty there about the connection. It's actually not because it's known to be dangerous, similar to many of these things. We're just being safe for the unborn child. Um, but that's the way to think of it is choose a time where the conditions are optimal. So your patient's safety is optimized rather than doing it in the midst of uncertainty. So what's the definition of an autoimmune disease flare up? So some diseases it'll be really clear like if you if you have a patient with rheumatoid arthritis they will absolutely know if they're having a flare-up because it's really obvious to them and they feel it in their you know literally in their joints and in terms of how they feel and they will know um, there are possibly other diseases where it's less it's more subtle and for example thyroid disease i think it might be harder to tell um, but i think probably the whatever the, the tissue is that's being reacted to the more of that tissue there is probably the higher the the, the amount of information there will be. Now, I might be wrong on that. It'd be good to hear some rheumatologists. Uh, I know we have some in our audience who might feedback on that. Um, but clinically, it can be quite hard. Um, I would go more by the by the history. So if they've been treated and diagnosed and they're stable for a long period of time, I'd feel very reassured. If it had just been diagnosed, I'd be very mm. basically uncertain about whether or not it's, it's a good time. And I'd probably suggest waiting. Um, but for many of the most obvious diseases, it's quite clear because of the symptoms and the patients themselves, once they're diagnosed, will know. So I, I just wait for a, a calm time when the patient tells you that they're fine. Um, then you could consider doing that treatment. You may also be able to reduce the risk, a little bit of a reaction by doing a, an intradermal test. So uh, I know the Allergan products still recommend um, or advise that you might do a test. It's not a very strongly worded situation. In fact, if you read their product literature, they actually don't say that there's any clear connection between autoimmune disease and uh, and reactions, but they do advise based on the fact that it seems sensible that we should avoid treating active disease and we should do an allergy test or a reaction test, an intradermal test to make sure or at least get some information back that they're unlikely to react to it. Um, but it's not very strongly worded and it's just a precautionary thing. So how would we go about getting that test? 
Well, in the old, uh, certainly about five five years ago, they used to recommend a double test, and that basically would just means you take a little bit of your product and you inject in, you inject it into the dermis or the forearm, and you wait two weeks and you see what happens to that little area of filler. So if it gets hard or tender or looks red, you know, twenty four hours, forty eight hours later, it's red. You may decide that's a sign of reaction and not and decide not to treat. Um, but you're also meant to then repeat it. So you do two weeks bring them back and then repeat it and wait another two weeks and then you can do your procedure at that point. So you're a month in uh, before you can actually do the procedure with the double test. Now I have noticed having checked it today that they've now removed any reference to the word double test. So they just say intradermal test. Um, I'm not sure if that means you shouldn't do the double version. Um, I would guess that there's actually very little information about how sensitive that test is and whether it's actually going to protect you from a reaction. And of course, the other issue you've got to think about is if you do have an autoimmune disease, the chances are you may have a flare-up while you've got filler in your system anyway. And this happens all the time. I mean, I've certainly got patients on our list who have rheumatoid arthritis who I've who I I'm thinking of someone who actually works for us who um who won't mind me saying, but she's had flare-ups while having dermal filler in the system and not reacted. Mm. So it is it's it's very hard to see what the connection is, but certainly you 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 are likely to get a flare up for some diseases while the while the dermal filler is in your system, which yeah. is something else to think about. Similar with with viral infections, um, you know a lot of people won't treat if there's a viral infection on the basis that it might increase the risk of reaction. There's no evidence for that. Seems reasonable. I think it's a reasonable point of view. What are the chances of you getting a viral infection while you have dermal filler in your system? Pretty much 100%. Mm-hmm. We're all going to get one, uh, you know, every couple of years. If you're lucky, you might go two years, but no one gets through life without getting any, unless very few. Uh, and and that suggests to me that we're going to have to deal with those risks at one point or another. And the time of the procedure may not be that relevant. However, it can keep your life simple as a clinician not to have injected someone while there was uncertainty. And then then they get a reaction and they, and they think you shouldn't have done it, even if it might have happened two months later when they got the same virus. So there are lots of reasons to avoid treatment for almost for political, medical, legal reasons, rather than that you're really limiting the risk of them ever getting a reaction. Understood. So what about lupus? How would you, in fact, that's a good example to almost like push through your thought process. How would you decide whether it's okay to treat lupus, someone with lupus? Well, um, what the first thing is any sign, any active sign, that the patient is aware of or symptoms of actively ongoing reaction is a good reason not to treat. So that would be the first thing is if they feel like there's something currently going on, I wouldn't, I just simply wouldn't treat them. Um, Maybe their patterns of flare-ups are quite frequent and they may have them very regularly. You might think, you know, even if you're not flared up now, the chances are you're going to flare up in two months time. Uh, I think we should resist doing it. And it, and that would be the core of it really is you, you want, because autoimmune diseases, I think there are 70 different autoimmune diseases. They're all different. They're all, you know, there are varying degrees of severity and aggressiveness. And I would, I would be making the decision based on how likely is, is this, um, immune system going to flare up and then mm-hmm. cause a problem. And once you've had that discussion and the patient is saying, you know, this is a big problem and it's, and it's a, um, I'm constantly thinking about it and it's constantly on the horizon, you may decide it's best not to do anything considering the risk. Just from a logistical point of view, it's in my mind as well. I think this consultation has going to have to be managed quite carefully so that the person isn't incentivized to be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I know that's a whole wider conversation, but that's what I'm seeing in my mind. Well, 
this is this is such a tricky topic because um i mean i i always think you know be intelligent about it but we should trust our patients i think if you if your default is that patients are untrustworthy you you have a very hard job getting through the day uh, all you've got to do is document what you've been told mm. um and make them aware of the risks and hopefully they're sensible people who who do the right thing and i believe most people are sensible given the right information if you if okay. you if you give them the impression that you're going to say no for some unreasonable reason they might lie that's possible so you've got to make sure they understand the consequences and they're more likely to be honest yeah exactly and then the other practical thing if i may just bring up is we were talking earlier about a test or a double test well that's incredibly expensive because these are single use syringes. You whack a bit of Juvederm in someone's arm, you've got, that's it. That's that syringe gone, really. Well, technically that I would say that's the only reason I, I would advocate, I would make an exception. So, I mean, we have a busy clinic, so there are multiple clinicians and we've, we've never kind of made it part of the system that you restore. So you keep some product in the fridge and use it on on the same patient later because it's a it's a logistical nightmare and it's against specifically what the product literature says but i so rarely see these patients that i i think it's reasonable as a one off because probably even you know we treat you know 4 or 5000 people a year we're not likely i actually don't do this every month like it doesn't happen that often so i'm okay with keeping one for one patient as a special um kind of a special measure almost um, because otherwise, you're right. You're charging them for a syringe every time you see them, and throwing the rest in the bin. Seems it seems considering I think the risk is low, very low of in, of infection. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence that there's any risk for infection from storing syringes. It's just the the, the logistics that stop me from doing it generally. Um, I would do it for that reason. So I just asked you about lupus. Another one that comes up on our groups quite a bit is Crohn's. Take us through that procedure if you were consulting someone and they told you they had Crohn's? Well, uh, Crohn's may have an, an autoimmune etiology. That's one of the potential causes of it. There are, there are different theories. Last time I looked at this, um, some people think it might be a microorganism, but I tell you what's absolutely sure is there's an inflammatory process because it's inflammatory bowel disease, which means you've got excess autoimmune, or you've got excess antibody production, excess um, immune system activity, and when it's active. So I would absolutely not treat anyone who is has active symptoms of Crohn's disease. Now you will meet patients who've had Crohn's disease for years and haven't had a flare-up in years. Um, and for those people, I think the risk is is minimal. Um, so I would treat those people if they understood the risk and they'd been stable for a long period of time. But once again, it's all about that. How certain can you predict the next few months being a relatively stable and how much does the patient benefit from, from the procedure? Or do they understand that they are in a slightly riskier position? They may get a reaction. And are they willing to accept the increased complexity in terms of managing that reaction? Because that's another thing to mm. think about, which is if you're going to start pumping people full of steroids and hyaluron days, like how is that going to affect their broader health? And do you feel confident that you can manage that and that it ju it is justified by the benefit they're going to get so just to be clear what you mean there you're saying let's say that someone hasn't had act hasn't had active for example crohn's for years so we go ahead and treat now there's a problem for example delayed onset nodules yeah then you're cracking out the hyalase reversing treating with steroids that's what you're talking about isn't it yeah and and you know maybe antibiotics might upset your gut you know um we don't really know exactly all the things that can trigger it but you just want to be have that discussion with the patient so that they feel in control of that as much as possible yeah it's all it's, it's all about the knowledge isn't it and and, and a 
a collaboration of acceptance of risk between the patient and the, and yeah. the clinician. And getting them to own that they are making the decision that this this is in their interests and that you agree with them on that. Because that's the, the central difference between medical people and others is we are we're trying to collaborate to, to improve their well-being, which means justifying risk and reward the whole time. That's literally what a consultation is for, is how can I justify this risk with the benefit you're likely to get? Are we both going to take a sensible, reasonable bet together that you're going to be happier or at least feel like it was worth trying, even if th something bad happens? So let's say that someone comes with a new disease that you're not familiar whether that is an absolute contraindication. What's the algorithm that you go through in your head to make that decision? Well, th this is actually one of the key points I want to make with this particular video is that um, so many times people expect that there's an authoritative source, as we said right at the beginning. And the truth is that there are way too many variables. In fact, I, for fun, I worked out there are actually 70,000 known diseases and there are 4,000 official medications available. And you've obviously got at least 200 different types of dermophila last time I looked. And if you if you put all those variables together, you've actually got 56 billion permutations. <laughs> so there is probably not enough time in human history to do a trial <laughs> on all those different permutations to decide where, whether it's safe. So we are absolutely without evidence on most of the interactions and diseases that we're thinking about treating. I mean, just think about that. People want evidence. We, we like to say we practice evidence-based medicine. There is no evidence, virtually no solid evidence for most of the advice that we're given this because it's just, it's just too difficult. There's too much information for us to sift through. So what we need to do is try and work out from first principles, which means you understand the mechanism by which the disease works and you understand the mechanism by which your complications work. Um, and you maybe understand the symptoms of the disease and the side effects of your medication that you're about to administer. And you look for overlaps and you try and make a reasonable guess. Um, you know, if you know, for example, myasthenia gravis is a symptom of the acetylcholine receptor, uh, disease of the acetylcholine receptor, and you know that your Botox treatments, botulinum toxin, it affects that same receptor, you could probably predict that there's an overlap in terms of what you're going to get if you mix those two variables together. And that's true. You're more likely to get a brow ptosis and someone who's got, you know, weakness in their face due to myasthenia gravis. So, so that's actually, no one's actually ever done a trial on that. I, I doubt you'll find 5,000 people measured and were they happy or not after their treatment, but it makes perfect sense logically. So you need to bring that into the equation. And that is basically the process we go through with all these things. If you're, um, you know, if you're taking steroids, we know that steroids decrease your immune activity, so there may be an increased rate of infection. There's actually very little evidence to show that treating someone with dermal fillers while on steroids is a risk for infection. You won't find it. But we all know that steroids increase the risk of infection, so we make a judgment based on that patient's um, history and their appetite for risk, and maybe you've got some of the details about their medical history that might inf infuse the consultation with this idea of what is the real risk here. Um, for for this for this process, but that's essentially the algorithm um, that we go through, which is let's think about how this drug works, let's think about how this disease works, um, let's think about where the potential overlap in terms of symptoms could be, and how how could we reduce the confusion here? Like, is it possible to wait a month and do the procedure later? Um, is it possible? Or do we know enough because the patient's been taking it for three years to know what what that they're stable? All of that is basically what we're doing to pull information and minimize the risk and, and try and make a, a reasonable stab at what's likely to happen. And at least some of it's about making people feel in control, 
Whereas, whereas because there's actually we actually don't know for sure. We don't know what the interactions are. Um, we do know that most of our products don't interact very much at all. Like dermal fillers are designed to be inert. They're not drugs. Um, and that minimizes the risk enormously in terms of drug interaction. So it's just, it's drug disease and product and those three things together. We, by understanding how they work, you should be able to make a reasonable decision about whether they're likely to react uh, and talk to your patient about that and get them to own that decision with you and to own the uncertainty with you as well. So I think it's actually quite an empowering thought because I know with those billions of, you know, variables, I feel, would feel overwhelmed by that. But if you actually are saying, no, it's not about the billions of variables, it's about the principles that we push those variables through. And it's about being a detective, isn't it? And taking a really good history, just like you would in your clinical setting. It's the yeah. same principle, isn't it? Yeah. But you, you got to do some pharmacology. You need to know how antihistamines work and you need to know what side effects antihistamines are. So it always starts with the, with the foundations. So you don't need to know all the drugs and all, and all that. You just need to find the one that you've got yeah. and have a think about it, how it works and see, is there any obvious link? There's no obvious link. Therefore, we don't know, but we're probably, it's probably safe to treat because I also know that my product doesn't react with very much at all. So it's, it's that kind of equation, which patients like it when you have that discussion with them. If you just say it's fine, um, they're okay with that most of the time as well, but they like that sense of, okay, how does it work? How does my product work? Mm. Why, why is it reasonable that they're not going to interact? Let's go forward and do the procedure. So thank you very much for watching. Um, if you'd like to download a little guide on how to go through this process of managing unknown variables for the first time, we've included that in the link below. Uh, let me know your comments. We'd love to hear more of your questions. If you're a rheumatologist, you can dazzle us with lots of information we haven't uh, included. We'd love to hear from you as well. So thank you very much for watching and see you next week. And just to mention, this show was inspired by Gaynor, who gave us this question. So seriously, if you have something that's on your mind, please do drop us an inbox or comment below and we'll see about including it in a future show. Thank you, Gaynor.